Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 105, part two. Yeah, you heard that right. Uh, as Micah said, if you listened to the podcast yesterday, uh, we were recording and had a little bit of a family emergency we had to attend to. So uh, we had to cut the show short. Um, I want to thank Micah for wrapping the show up for me. Um, but everything's cool. We're all fine here. Um, so yeah, I, I promised I would deliver on Raw and SmackDown this week, and I'm going to do it mainly because I watched five hours of WWE and I'm not going to let that go to waste. So I'm here, I'm back and it's coming a day late than we normally would do it, but Hey, I got to deliver. So uh, we're going to get into Raw and SmackDown, but first uh, as we stated on the podcast yesterday in lieu of doing a, uh, this day in wrestling history, we talked about Chad Gaspar and I just wanted to update everybody. Uh, if you've heard, if you're listening to the, uh, the original podcast um, or the part one of this, uh, we kind of talked about it. Um, but on the same day that we released the podcast, obviously we usually record the day before. Um, we found out that Shad Gaspar's body was actually recovered uh, on Venice Beach, so sadly he did pass away. Um, but as we said in the um, in the first part of the podcast, uh, I mean dude, the guy's a hero. And, uh, you know, if anything, it's definitely a tragic story. And, you know, obviously it's, he, he died way too young. Uh, it was just, you know, straight up tragedy, but, um, I, I can at least feel better that his family has his body. They can lay him to rest and get some closure properly because what, what would have been worse is if they would have never found his body and they would have always just wondered. And, um, now they get to, you know, have some closure uh, they get to put him to rest, um, at least properly. And as I said yesterday, um, the man went out, you know, putting his son first, saving his, his son's life. And his son is going to get to go on and live a happy life now. And um, like I said, if, if if he got to choose and they said, Shad, you know, we're going to have to take your life. And in exchange, you, you have to save your son. He would make that the same decision every time. Uh, I mean, the guy is just a true hero. So rest in peace, Shad Gaspard. Uh, you, you know, entertained us for so many, for you know, the, the short time I guess you were in WWE, um, but so many great segments, so many great matches that Crime Time had, and uh, yeah, he will definitely miss. So our thoughts go out to the Shad Bard family, um, or the Gaspard family. My my apologies. Um, yeah, just a tragedy, and you know, hate to see it, but I mean, the guy's going to be remembered as a hero. So we're gonna we're gonna keep it that way. Uh, so yeah, we'll go ahead and get into SmackDown this week. Um, I know Micah didn't want you know us to talk about WWE, but hey, I watched both these shows, so I have to do it. Uh, once again, we were in the Performance Center. Uh, we actually kicked off the show with Miz TV. Uh, Miz and Morrison came out. Actually, sorry, they were already in the ring at the start of the show. That's right. Uh, Miz ba- basically barely said anything before Otis interrupted. His music cuts in. He comes out holding his briefcase up in the air, celebrating. So he's ecstatic, basically. Uh, gets in the ring. Obviously, his chair breaks because he's fat. Uh, he tried to sit. They have like the the Miz, you know, actor, director chairs or whatever. And obviously, Otis is fat. So he had to, uh, you know, break it. You can't just sit in a chair if you're fat. You have to, you have to break things. So... Yeah, he did that. And not only that, he had his briefcase with him. Um, he did note that the winning the briefcase was the biggest win of his career, but the biggest win in life was winning Mandy Rose, his peach. 
So uh, Morrison wondered how Otis got uh, Mandy Rose and uh, they continued to mock him by showing pictures of him when he was a kid. Uh, they talked about what was actually in the briefcase, which of course Otis is fat. So he has to say that he has gas X uh, Tums or something like that. Um, and uh, what was it? A bratwurst. He keeps a bratwurst in there in case he gets hungry. So they just got to drive this into the ground, I guess, but Otis is fat, everybody. So that's what WWE wants you to know. Uh, they, Like I said, they show pictures of him as a kid uh, as well. He does say that he had a learning disability as a kid, and his mom was his hero, helped him keep his grades up because he, he didn't quite understand school all the time when he was growing up. But one, the one thing he did understand was wrestling, and so his mom helped him keep his grades up so he could keep wrestling. So that's pretty cool. Uh, hopefully they don't dive too deep into that. He's, he's already fat, and we got to get reminded of it each week. We don't need to keep being reminded he has a learning disability. Um, we've seen how WWE treats out in the past. So fingers crossed. Uh, but basically Miz gets frustrated because he's like, how could you Otis, someone that has a learning disability, who's fat, win money in the bank and get the girl. He's just frustrated, pointed out that, you know, the briefcase literally fell into his lap. So Miz just demands that Tucker come out. So Otis and Tucker can have a match against Miz and Morrison. Uh, Otis admits that Tucker's still injured uh, from his, I guess from his attack uh, from Dolph, he says he's injured, not been able to compete. So Miz and Morrison said, all right, we'll fi find a tag partner tonight and we'll fight you in the main event. So Otis and a mystery partner who we don't know who's going to be, is going to take on Miz and Morrison in the main event of the show. So, uh, yeah, we also get, uh, the, the announcement of the matches for the intercontinental championship tournament because Sami Zayn's intercontinental championship is being held in abeyance. I'll give you a minute to Google what that word means. It basically means he vacated it. Yeah, it's it's WWE talk. They speak their own language all the time. Like, who knows? It's stupid. Like, just say vac he vacated. We had to vacate the title. That's all I need to say. But they have to make up or they have to use words that nobody would actually say in normal life, like abeyance. It's it's funny. They, they think their audience is stupid, but yet they use words like that and expect them to like, I mean, listen, I have a college degree and I don't think I've ever heard anybody use the word abeyance. So there you have it. And I'm sure Matt will insert some joke here about me graduating from the university of Auburn, but whatever. I still have a college degree, never heard of abeyance. And I doubt they say it on the campus in Tuscaloosa either, but Regardless, we have our first round of the Intercontinental Championship match uh, happening. We have two matches on this show, and they're going to continue the first round next week as well. So the first match is Elias versus King Corbin. Basically, they started by recapping the entire feud. And this wasn't a horrible match. It was fine. It was what you would expect from Elias-Corbin match. It was actually better than I thought it would be, but still not great. It was just kind of a slow-paced match. Corbin really dominated the entire time. And basically the way it, the way it uh, happened or the way the finish came, uh, Corbin went to the outside after he dominated and basically incapacitated Elias. He goes on the outside, grabs Elias's guitar and he, you know, pretends to play it. Uh, you know, he's, he's doing all this goofy stuff. And so then he finally gets frustrated. He smashes the guitar on the ring post. So Corbin smashes the guitar, gets back in the ring. This sets off Elias. He's, he's pissed. 
So he rocks Corbin with a knee. He's able to get him uh, in the inside cradle, basically a roll of victory. So Elias picks up the win, the first win in the Intercontinental title tournament. Uh, I wonder, is this seven years of bad luck for Corbin? He did break the mirror at the TLC pay-per-view. So I don't know. Is this, is this bad luck going to continue? He's got a big match coming up against Drew McIntyre on Raw. We'll, we'll get further into that later on. But Elias picks up the win here. Uh, basically, he's going to take on the winner of AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura. That's going to take place next week. But we also have Daniel Bryan versus Drew McIntyre or Drew Gallagher. Yeah, not Galloway or McIntyre. Uh, Drew Gulak is uh, his opponent in the first round. Uh, player and coach going up against each other, I guess. That's going to be the match happen tonight. Uh, in the back, Otis is still looking for a tag partner. He runs into Sheamus and asks him if he would be his partner. And basically, Sheamus just laughs in his face and turns him down. So he walks away. We go to commercial break. Come back, and Mandy comes up to Otis. Otis is clearly upset, so she tries to comfort him. Otis says he can't find a partner. So Mandy says, why don't you ask Braun Strowman? And he's like, I, I love that idea. So Otis goes off to find Strowman, but he comes back and gives Mandy a kiss on the cheek. So then we have the mysterious hacker. He makes an appearance as well. Uh, appears and promises that the truth will be told next week. So same old, same old. He's going to reveal the truth. So we'll see what comes of that. We still know who this guy is. Uh, they'll probably do this for another month knowing them, but we'll see. Then we have Otis approaching Strowman. Ask him if he'll be his partner. You know, Strowman wonders if uh, Otis is trying to set him up. He's like, I know you got that briefcase. I know you, you might try to attack me, take advantage of the situation. Otis promises that he's only looking for a tag team partner, says he won't try anything funny. So Strowman says he knows how this plays out, but he respects Otis, so he's he's going to think about it. So Strowman goes off to, you know, think about the whole situation. Then we have Dana Brooke versus Naomi. So uh, the announcers play up that Naomi was embarrassed by losing to Dana Brooke, not – qualifying for the money in the bank. And she's probably wondering what would have happened if she managed to qualify. Would she have actually been able to win? I don't know why she would have, but whatever. So she's she's out here for redemption, essentially. Uh, has the advantage early. And I, I will say, though, they, they got no time for this match, in all fairness. But my God, Naomi was like doing this completely by the books. She was like just going through the motions. She basically had the advantage early. Uh, Brooke, you know, they worked hard. She, she took over, uh, Dana Brooke tried to hit a cartwheel elbow in the corner. Uh, but she, she went for it and Naomi got her knees up. Naomi hit a cross body for near fall. And then just suddenly Dana Brooke rolled her up and picked, picked the win. I mean, it was a very short match. Nothing really happened, you know, no big story here. And then Dana Brooke is, you know, she celebrates and Naomi just kind of sits there disappointed. So. Yeah, she. I don't know what she's. She's probably just deflated because WWE has done nothing with her since she's come back. Uh, she had a good showing in the Royal Rumble, looked pretty well, and looked like to be on a you know a feud with Bailey, and they just made her lose to Carmella, and she's been nothing ever since. So we'll see what happens. I'm kind of surprised she hasn't been released yet because yeah, they're doing as much with her as they were with Sarah Logan. So whatever. We then get a. Charlotte Flair promo. Charlotte taking advantage of the uh, what do they call it? It's the stupid. It's the new wild wild card rule. It's uh, 
the brand to brand invitation or something like that is what they call it. Basically, it's an excuse. Ratings are basically in the trash, mainly because of the COVID, but you know, they're in the trash. And they do this every time the ratings go bad. They just get rid of the brand split. And it's like, why not just get rid of it all together? Who cares? Like, just let people go to other shows. Or what I wish they would do, have like a one main championship, make Drew uh, McIntyre the champion, because who cares about Strowman being champ? Make the Intercontinental Championship the one belt and have one tag title, one women's tag title, one women's championship and have them go from brand to brand. It's just as easy as that. I don't get it. And have people cross over. Who cares? They get to make up their own rules. And this is, I'm just going to rant here for a second. They come out and say this, this wild card was a new wild card, like the invitation brand to brand, whatever they want to call it. They come out and say that there's rules to it now. Supposedly, every super, the way I understand it is every superstar has four opportunities to go to a show per year. So I guess this is Charlotte's one appearance on SmackDown out of her four, and she's going to fight Bailey next week uh, in a you know a non-title match. But they're going to go. You know, they're going to fight next week on SmackDown. So is that her second appearance? And she's only got two more. Who knows? But my point is, why have these stupid rules at all? It's not like the fans care. They're like, you're. I mean, WWE's going to do what they want to do. You know, it, it doesn't really matter. So why even have these stupid rules? I don't understand it. It's stupid. Anyway, Charlotte comes out to cut a promo. Uh, basically knows that she's been working all three brands because the people want more of her. Uh, Fox wants more of her because she's a 5'10 blonde and her last name is Flair. Said she's won many of her championships on SmackDown. Uh, she thinks there should be a giant picture of her hanging in the uh, performance center, basically gloating. Bailey and Sasha come out and interrupt her. Uh, Bailey notes that Fox wanted Flair on SmackDown because she's blonde and her last name is Flair, is Flair so she agrees with her. Uh, basically, they point out that the last time they saw each other, Bailey beat Flair. Uh, Banks and uh, Bailey demand Flair lead the ring. There's really a lot of Bailey talking. She kind of kept inter- interrupting Sasha and stuff like that. Flair ran down all of Sasha's great accomplishments, wondered why she's in Bailey's shadow. Bailey started yelling at uh, Charlotte, telling her to turn off her mic. Uh, Bailey kept interrupting Banks every time, every time she tried to talk. And Flair just basically said, uh, you know, Sasha, do you, you know, are you really the boss? Are you, You're in her shadow. Um, you know, just teasing the breakup still between these two. She called her Bailey's lackey. So it, it was a fine segment. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was fine. Uh, it's, Way better than Bank, what Banks and Bailey have been doing lately with like Tamina and um, Lacey Evans, all this other stuff. So I'm fine with it. Uh, it's just a stupid brand to brand rule thing is dumb. Just have them go to different shows. Who cares? Then when in the back we have Kayla. She goes up to Braun Strowman, who's warming up. He's got the little rope thing he's stretching with. She She's like, well, I guess you're getting ready for your match tonight. I'm assuming this means you're going to be Otis's partner. But Strowman clarifies and says, no, no. Still thinking about it. This is how I like to think. So he's just stretching and contemplating, I guess, his strategy for, you know, if he actually goes through with this. Then we have a promo from the Forgotten Sons. We get a disclaimer before it that their views do not reflect the views of WWE. And I was just like, who cares? And they didn't even say anything like derogatory. They just came on and said, we served our country in the past. We came home. 
Nobody helped us. We feel neglected. And that's why we're the forgotten sons. That's it. I do not feel like of all the stuff WWE has talked about, not the, we make fun of fat people on the show constantly. We bully people, even though we have a bully campaign. None of that gets a disclaimer, but this promo has got to have one. Whatever. Renee then interviews Miz and Morrison in the back. They aren't worried about Braun Strowman being Otis's partner, and they just think Otis won't get a partner at all. Then we have the other first round match uh, this week of the Intercontinental Championship Tournament because Sami Zayn's title is being held in advance. It's Daniel Bryan versus Drew Gulak. This was the highlight of the show. A really good match. A very good pro wrestling match. Uh, They basically started slow, but just a lot of mat wrestling and countering. Like, nothing dragged. I mean, it started slow and built it toward the end, but just a lot of physical style, a lot of submission holes, a lot of counters. Uh, Basically, the announcers were, they actually did a decent job of putting over Gulak that he's Brian's coach. That he's been in this corner, they're you know familiar with each other. Talk about their rivalry to start that became a friendship and respect for each other. So uh, you know that got talked about. Uh, like I said, plenty of mat wrestling going on in the tournament. Brian kept working over Gulak's leg, like a lot of um, like like um, I don't know if you call them leg drags, like corkscrew, like um, like moves to his leg. I guess uh, just kept attacking. Drew Gulak's leg, and they basically just went back and forth the entire match. And uh, at one point, Brian did get um, Gulak in the label lock, and Gulak was able to get it to the ropes. There was a cool spot where Brian uh, ducked under Gulak. He followed him, caught him uh, coming off the ropes, and hit like a springboard German suplex off the ropes. Um, Gulak hit Brian with a modified Michinoka driver, which looked awesome. Uh, lots, just like a trade, like tons of pin attempts trading with each other. Gulak applied the, uh, the, uh, Gulak lock or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Brian was able to get out of it. He had a, uh, dragon screw whip, uh, got it, got him in a knee bar. I guess that's the, uh, the leg attacks, the dragon screw, uh, got him in a knee bar and he made him tap and I was shocked, but it was cool. Like a knee bar is that makes people tap. In real MMA, like it's a real legit move. And Brian put it on him, made him tap out, and he didn't have to beat him with the, uh, the label lock. I thought it was great. So Brian advances. Um, he's going to the next round. He'll face the winner of Sheamus and Jeff Hardy, who's the other first-round match is happening next week. Uh, Renee gets in the ring afterwards to interview Brian. <laughs> Noted he had to give up the title for five years. Uh, he said he had the title, had to give it up when he retired, and said he hasn't had a chance to go after it since even though <laughs> WrestleMania, he had a shot against Sami Zayn. So he slipped up a little bit there. He says he wants to win in the tournament though. He wants to defend the title against everybody. He's going to make sure whoever holds the title is the greatest wrestler in the company. And that's him. So a uh, decent little aftermatch promo. He had a little bit of a slip up with the uh, saying he hasn't fought anybody for the title since he lost it, but whatever. So him and Gulak shake hands. They hug afterwards, so they still respect each other. Just an overall good babyface versus babyface match. Both of them stay friends at the end. Uh, unfortunately, though, if you haven't heard, Drew Gulak, his uh, contract expired this week. He asked for more money because Lord knows the WWE can afford it. But I guess they didn't want to look bad since they just released a whole bunch of people. And so they said, nope, we can't give you more money. So bye-bye. So up until this point, Drew Gulak, no longer with WWE. He's not under contract anymore. So uh, he might still appear on the show. 
I guess they could work something out, um, but we'll see. Uh, but as of now, he's, to my knowledge, he's not back under contract. So this could be the last match in Drew Gulak's WWE career for all we know. But if it is, it was a good one. So if you get a chance, go back and watch it. In the back, we have uh, actually another highlight of the show. Dolph Ziggler and Sonya Deville discussing their mixed tag match was going to happen next week against Otis and Mandy. Sonya cut a really good promo here. She just, you know, talked to Rose, talked talk about promising to ruin her life, saying that she she can't win. She's not a great wrestler. Basically, the only thing she's good at is being pretty and being blonde. And she says that won't last forever. If she wants to be with Otis, she said she's more than happy for her, but she's just going to end up at a trailer park with three kids someday and she'll have nothing to show for it. And she said she's a fighter. She's still going to ruin her life and she's going to continue to do that next week. So, I mean, Sonia, her promos, I mean, I don't know if they trust her in the ring yet. She's gotten better, but man, her promo ability, you can't deny it. She's been great in this role and I want to see more of her. I want to see more of this feud. Um, I hope they don't just completely end it since Otis is kind of the one of the mainstays on the show now. Uh, I hope he doesn't move away from Tucker. It feels like they're trying to move him out of the picture, but I mean, I don't know why they're doing it, but whatever. Then we have the main event of the show, Otis and Braun Strowman up against Miz and Morrison. It was fine. Uh, <laughs> Otis basically overpowered overpowered Morrison in the beginning. He knocked Miz off the apron, tagged in Strowman. They both came in and gave Morrison a double caterpillar. Well, Otis did. Strowman gave his attempt at the caterpillar was basically push-ups. <laughs> he did like two push-ups on the on the floor. Uh, they hit a double caterpillar, which is Otis Otis's finishing move, and Morrison just like rolled out of the ring and they celebrated. Okay, we got a commercial break. Come back, and Miz is like firmly in control. He poked Otis in the eye. He stole the move from Dolph Ziggler. And so now he's just in control. So whatever. So Miz and Morrison basically slow the pace down, get the heat on Otis. Uh, they attempt a double suplex, but Otis counters it. Strowman gets the hot tag, runs wild, runs around ringside, runs over Miz. Uh, or he, yeah, he runs over Miz. Morrison sees him come and runs out of the way. Strowman intends to splash in the corner, but uh, Morrison's able to pull Miz out of the way. Strowman hits the post again. Like, dude, just stop running into the corner. It's It never works. Just stop it. So Morrison tries to take the advantage. Uh, he, he goes for a, like a Hurricane Rana or something, a tilt-to-whirl Hurricane Rana. Strowman basically counters in the middle of it, picks him up, hits the power slam, and gets the win. So Otis and Strowman win. They celebrate after the match. Mandy Rose comes on, on the stage in just the tiniest jean, jean shorts I've ever seen. Uh, they covered her up, I guess, but my Lord. So she comes down the ring. Mandy's kind of pointing at something and Strowman backs up or sorry, Otis backs up and gets like in a fighting stance, teasing that he might cash in, but Strowman turns around and catches him. And Otis is quick to say, Oh, I'm just joking, man. Just a joke. Just want to make you laugh. So he gives him a hug. Uh, you know, says like, we're good. They give him or gives him a fist bump. Mandy gets in the ring. They hug. I mean, the main event was fine. And all in all, like SmackDown was a pretty good show. Like it wasn't, it never really dragged at all. There wasn't any bad segments. You know, the stuff that's normally been bad, like the Bailey and Sasha stuff this week was pretty good. Uh, Sonya cut a great promo. Main event was solid. Uh, Brian Gulak was awesome. 
Uh, Brooke Naomi was nothing, but it wasn't really their fault. And Elias uh, Corbin was fine. I mean, it's about as good as it could be. So honestly, it's a good show to watch this week. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't hard to get through. So if I had to grade it, I would give it a B plus. I thought they did a pretty good job this week. Um, but I mean, what do you guys think? Leave us a comment um, on our Facebook post or send us a message if you have a different opinion. We'd love to hear from you all. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was a good show. And speaking of that, let's get into Raw because SmackDown was an easy two-hour show to watch. Would Raw be an easy three-hour show to watch? Uh, the answer, spoiler alert, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a good show. Uh, I, so here's the thing. So all in all, I'll go over the entire show, but it was very – there were a lot of segments. It was almost too many segments because there were a lot happened on the show, and it was almost two weeks of Raw packed into one. But it made it a little better because, in my opinion, the, the segments never overstayed their welcome. There was one segment like the uh, Viking Raiders and um, – oh, God, what's their name? Uh, <laughs> Viking Raiders and uh, I'm thinking of Private Party because they they're so much alike and uh, their their gimmicks are basically the same. Uh, I can't even remember the name, but uh, the Viking Raiders. God, what is their name? This is embarrassing. I watched the show and I can't even remember their name. Uh, they want the smoke. I know that. <laughs> And really, they're great. They're great segments. Listen, car, carpool karaoke with the Viking Raiders was horrible. Like, don't get me started. It was the dumbest thing in the world. They want to make these guys funny, and you know what? This week they did a pretty good job of it. But man, it's like they they've in a way these segments have gotten better each week as opposed to worse, which is always good. But my God, it started on pretty pretty low low, if I do say so. Like, just not. Just not the best way to start this. And from what I hear, the basketball segment last week was fine. I mean, I saw most of it and I thought it was okay. So basically there was a segment that ran throughout the show and it was fine. So yeah, we'll talk about it. But basically the entire show, there was a lot of small segments in between but it kind of kept you at a good pace throughout the show. But my only negative with that is it still felt like a long show. So as I was watching it, I was like, okay, this is a good pace. Like it was a good pace. It kept going. Like I said, nothing overstayed its welcome. But still, about the two-hour mark, I felt like we were getting towards the end of the show. There was so much that happened. There's still so much that was happening. And I knew what the main event was. And I was like, it's got to be next, right? And then somebody else would come out. And it just proved to me that three hours is still way too long. It's just way too long. Uh, because this was a good show. It was good paced. But it still felt long because it is long. And they had to stretch out segments that they would normally, you know, like I, like I said, the, the Viking Raiders – uh, their, their segment was throughout the entire show. Like they gave us little by little each time, but I mean, it wasn't bad. None of it was bad. It just, they came back to it like four or five times and I kept thinking it was over and they'd come back to it each time. It was good, but there was just a lot packed into the show. 
So like I said, it's not horrible, but it, it just goes to prove that three hours is just too long. It's too long for any format. I mean, this, like I said, good pace still felt long. So we'll get into it here. The show actually opened with the uh, Randy Orton and Edge segment. So if you don't know, Randy Orton has challenged Edge to a straight-up wrestling match. So Charlie Caruso is in the ring. She introduces Randy Orton for an interview. Uh, basically, runs down you know their uh, their comments from last week. She asks Orton about the challenge and uh, ask uh, Orton basically ask her why it's you know so hard for her to understand what a straight up wrestling match is. Um, said this is world wrestling entertainment and wrestling was the basis of what they do. Edge was the better man at WrestleMania, but he wasn't the superior wrestler. So Orton says he would need tables, tables, ladders, and chairs to beat him. Says no other athlete can do what he does in the ring. And uh, he, he said he saw doubt in Edge's eyes last week when he uh, challenged into this. But uh, he says now basically all Edge had was doubt and fear. So Edge takes offense to this, storms out to the ring, and just cut a great promo. I mean, Orton was great in this too. It was, it was a great opening segment. Uh, Edge came out and uh, spoke, spoke uh, said Orton spoke a lot of truth last week. Um, I think, you know, he just basically didn't answer him last week because he wanted to take some time to think about it. He knew this, you know, Orton saw this as a game of chess, but he he doesn't think it's a game. Uh, he, uh, he says, Orton, this is just a paycheck for you. And Edge just said, this is my life. Um, Orton, he said, this was your backup plan. He said, you didn't go to sleep at night when you were a kid dreaming about winning, winning the world championship like I did or save all your money to go to a show like I did. Basically comparing him and saying, um, you know, you haven't dreamed about this. This was your backup plan. You know, I've been dreaming about this, you know, my whole life. It says Orton didn't cry when uh, he won the Inter- Intercontinental Championship and Edge did. And then he pointed out, speaking of which, when I won the Intercontinental Championship, I won it from you. So uh, he said he, you know, when he won the Intercontinental Championship, he was on a path to, uh, you know, make it the workhorse belt, essentially. He wanted to be known as the greatest uh, workhorse in WWE or one of the greatest. Um, like I said, said he'd beat Orton for the title. Orton interrupts him, says he's tired of his speech. Um, but Edge told him to stop interrupting. Edge noted that Orton has never come back from a career-threatening injury like he did. And uh, Orton cut him off and just basically said, because a lot of times WWE does drag these promos out when it it could be said in five minutes. So Orton basically does this for us, cuts him off and says, do you accept my challenge? And Edge, says, Edge just yells, yes, I accept your damn challenge. And so Orton smirks, he leaves, and that's it. So Edge has accepted Orton's challenge. Uh, I don't know if they said this is going to happen at the next pay-per-view. I'm assuming it is and not on Raw, but we'll see. But yeah, a really good opening segment. Um, you know, didn't go, it didn't overstay its welcome. It was good. Edge and Orton were great in this. So backstage, we have Rollins. Uh, he told Murphy he had a revelation and invited Murphy to join him in the ring. It was weird because Rollins was sitting there thinking for a second and an arm just comes off screen. And I don't know what Murphy was wearing. It's like a blue and black zip up pullover type like athletic jacket but the arms of it were like yellow and red stained glass pattern it was really weird looking 
And it, like, honestly, he put his arm into frame and they didn't show who it was at first. And I was like, is that Doink coming back from the uh, WWE headquarters? But no, it was Murphy, but a very colorful jacket for some reason he was wearing. So Rollins comes out for a promo. Uh, basically, the announcers update us on Rey Mysterio about the damage to his eye. Says the doctors think it might be critical, but won't able to be able to reassess it until the swelling goes down. Um, Rollins says sometimes you lose yourself and you find out who you truly are. He said he felt like he lost himself in the Money in the Bank match that he lost to Drew McIntyre. Fell into a dark place. He thought he would never escape. How, he says, however, with no darkness, there is no light. And I thought about it for a second and I was like, I mean... I guess. <laughs> I mean, darkness is the absence of light and vice versa. But, yeah, I, I don't think that's true, Seth. <laughs> I mean, we have darkness and light, but, I mean, in the universe, if like we had no stars, it would just be dark. So, I don't think that's true, man. But anyway... He said that now he sees the light better than ever. He thanked one from helping one man for helping him see this, Rey Mysterio. He says he knew that uh, people thought what he did to Rey Mysterio was unforgivable, but uh, he called it a, ne a necessary sacrifice to allow him to be the leader he needed to be. Had a message for Rey Mysterio. What happened was a blessing in, the in disguise for him. Wanted to say that uh, he's, he wanted to say to Mysterio, uh, basically, so when he met him again, he would you know thank him. And so he can say, you're welcome. Uh, then Umberto Carrillo interrupts him, uh, basically says, nobody believes you, Rollins. Rey Mysterio was a hero to me and, I'm, and a hero to millions. Calls him uh, Rollins a coward, jumps in the ring, but Murphy jumps in between them. Rollins says, he's not he's not dressed to compete tonight, but Murphy is, so he'll challenge you before he challenges Aleister Black later tonight. So Murphy doing double duty here. Murphy going up against Umberto Carrillo. This was basically the first match of the night, and we were 30 minutes in the show, but it was actually fine. Uh, we, it was a pretty good match between these two. Um, nothing like extraordinary, but, you know, it's, it's a good match. Uh, Murphy, basically what happened was uh, Carrillo got um, some offense in late, was taking the advantage, had Murphy staggered, but Rollins started walking over to the apron, which caused... Carrillo to like stop and look at him. The referee came over and, uh, you know, like said, hey, hey, Rollins, don't you touch him. Don't you touch him. And Carrillo tried to jump into the ring. Murphy caught him, hit him with a knee strike, hit him with a Murphy's Law, and picked up the win. So uh, it was fine. Murphy picked up the win here. Uh, after the match, Murphy attacked Carrillo. Uh, and they, he started beating him down. But Aleister Black came out and made the save. Rollins got out of the ring, you know, scurried at the ramp. Um, and uh, Murphy was basically getting beat up, able to duck the black mass, bailed out of the ring as uh, Alistair checked on Carrillo. So he came out and made the save. So Murphy versus Alistair Black later in the night is what we're going to have. And then we have King Corbin. He's over from SmackDown. He's uh, taking advantage of this new uh brand to brand invitational bs we have going on 
So he's in the back. He's yelling at a person backstage saying, is this how you treat people on Raw? This is horse. You know what? <laughs> he, uh, he basically says it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, he says, people want me to go get my own food. I have to walk from one building to the other. I don't even have my own locker room. He's basically telling him to fix it. Then a referee comes in. He uh, yells and nobody's bowed to him when he entered. Um, just, you know, basically complaining to the referee about not being treated like a king. And uh, he's like, all right, we're going to talk about what's going to happen in tonight's match. They start talking and then we go to a break. And I was like, okay. Uh, Corbin actually did a pretty good job here being like a annoying heel. But I was like, I want to hear about this, this deal he's making with the ref tonight. I don't know what's going on, but they just went to a break. Then we had a Liv Morgan sit down interview as, as we come back from a break. This was a little confusing. It started out like it was going to be a great promo from Liv because she comes on and she says her mom was her hero. And she, I mean, she's, you know, tearing up and, you know, her voice is breaking as she's trying to say it. She can barely get it out. She goes on saying that her mom didn't have a job or, yeah, her mom didn't have a job, didn't have much savings account when she was growing up, but she was determined and never quit. And she said uh, a few weeks ago, she had a match with Charlotte, um, the pride and joy of WWE. Um, She said Morgan didn't win, or she said I didn't win, but I learned something from it. She learned that she's just like her mother. Uh, and that one day she will become Raw Women's Champion. And I was expecting her to, like, she was about to cry. And I was like, so did her mother pass away? Is she fighting for the memory of her mother? Why is she crying about her mother? I know her mom's her hero, but. And, and then she's just like, she doesn't go on to say how that's going to benefit her. She's just saying she's not going to give up. But she didn't convince me to actually make me believe that one day she was going to have enough to become Raw Women's Champion, I guess. Okay, it was just like missing something. There, there could have been a little bit more here for this to be a really good promo. But nevertheless, it was fine. She, Liv did a good job of executing it. It just needed a little bit more polishing, I think. Then we have a Charlotte Flair promo, just like the one she had on SmackDown, essentially. She came out, so she's the uh, she was the hardest working person in WWE, working all three brands. Um, she was the face of Raw, mentor of NXT, made a, a special appearance on SmackDown where Bailey challenged her, so she hyped that match. She said she's having to teach Bailey a lesson, so there's levels to being a champion. She knew uh, Ruby, Rob- Ruby Riot had something to say to her, invited her out. So Ruby Riot comes out, actually didn't say anything, but uh, she got basically face-to-face with Charlotte, uh, and they let us know that they have a match coming up. So, all right. Uh, this was a quick match. Charlotte, uh, I mean, it went bad. Charlotte, uh, basically, you know, was controlled through most of it. Um, she did go for a chop on the outside and she chopped the ring post. So she damaged her hand and Ruby Riot kept kind of, uh, trying to attack the hand. Um, she, uh, she was able to fight back in the ring. She got a, uh, Backwards sent time for a, a near fall. She tried to roll her up and get her near fall a couple times. Uh, she she kept trying to get submissions with her hand, trying to target the hand. She uh, went for a riot kick, but Charlotte ended up blocking it. Hit her with a uh, with a stomp. Applied the figure eight, uh, and she actually even sold her hand. Like she went to go do the bridge, and she actually couldn't bridge with the other hand. But it was still enough. Ruby Riot couldn't take anymore, and she had to tap out. So Charlotte picks up the win here. 
And we'll see what happens with her on NXT, but she's also going to be going up against Bailey for her second out of her four appearances, apparently, uh, to be on SmackDown. And does being on Raw count towards that? So is this her third out of her fourth? Because now she's the NXT champion. And do her NXT appearances each week go into that? I don't know. It's stupid. Who cares? Next, we had Charlie in the back attempting an interview with Bobby Lashley when they're interrupted by MVP. Uh, he says that he knows that they're not going to do business together because Bobby Lashley was too big, uh, too busy dealing with clowns like R-Truth and his lovely wife, Lana. But before Lashley could go after him, MVP interrupted him and said he didn't want Lashley to put him in that full Nelson because he saw how effective it was last week. But he wondered how much Lashley, Ash, <laughs> how much Lashley even worried about considering it's been 13 years since he had his last opportunity at the belt. So MVP, MVP figured Lashley thought he uh, he didn't need trophies um, because he already had a trophy wife. Lashley was kind of annoyed by this, but MVP was able to calm him down. And uh, yeah, it was a good segment. Um, MVP was really good here. I think he's going to be a great manager. Uh, hopefully he embraces this role. And uh, yeah, I think he'd be great with Bobby Lashley. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Uh, here we are in my notes. I couldn't find it earlier. The Street Profits. That's their name. <laughs> the Street Profits versus Viking Raiders. That's So last week, they had the basketball game. We actually got a flashback of that. So essentially, Street Profits beat them like 72-4. to four, Or no, 74-2. to two, uh, And the Viking Raiders celebrated when they got their one basket. The Street Profits were baffled until... The Viking Raiders said, oh, we're just kidding. We know how to shoot the basketball. And then they proceeded to make a bunch of trick shots. I was like, okay, then why didn't you do that to start with? But whatever. So this week, they said they're inviting the Street Profits to their own turf so they can have an axe-throwing competition. So the Street Profits arrive out in some random field. Um, Montez Ford has a, a red Solo cup in his hand with a suggestible drink, I would imagine. And they walk out there, and sure enough, there's like a Viking camp set up there with all of the Raiders. Like the Viking Raiders are there, and all their friends, their Viking friends are there. Uh, they've got a fire going, and they say that they know the Street Prophets like the smoke, so they gave them the gift, smoke. And they show the fire, and Dawkins and Montez Ford are like, that's not what we mean, what we mean but... Uh, Montez Ford stops him. He knows that they don't want to, you know, you know, make them angry on their turf. And, you know, basically said it'd be dumb not to accept this gift because they all had axes in their hands, basically. So, uh, Ford accepted their gift. Uh, they start doing some practice throws, uh, axe throws. And obviously Eric and Ivar, they are just tossing these axes, hitting the bullseye like crazy. Um, you know, they've got perfect aim essentially. And uh, Street Profits are just like baffled at how great they are. So they're just, you know, tossing him, getting a bullseye every time. Uh, and that was the first part of it. So like I said, this this was a common segment throughout the show and this was the first part of it, but it didn't overstate its welcome and it was actually legitimately funny this week. So I thought they did a good job with it. Then we had Asuka's championship celebration. Kyrie Singh comes out, introduces Asuka, her friend and champion. Asuka comes out. Uh, Kyrie Singh has flowers for her. So Asuka thanks her, says she's very happy. They spoke Japanese to each other. 
Uh, Asuka talks about becoming Raw Women's Champion. Sane shows pictures of Asuka as the NXT Women's Champion, SmackDown Women's Champion, Tag Team Women's Champion, and Raw Women's Champion now. So she is now a, uh, I guess it's just Bailey, Alexa Bliss, and Asuka now are the only Grand Slam champions. So uh, they point that out. Asuka celebrates with the dance. And then Kyrie Sane pulls out a recorder, <laughs> like a little flute, and starts playing Asuka's theme on the recorder. So that was pretty funny. Uh, Nia Jax interrupts them. Uh, her music hits. She comes out, says there's nothing to celebrate because she's literally handed the belt, even though she actually won it in a match, but whatever. Uh, next, uh, Jax calls out Asuka, says she's a ch- temporary champion. She's going to be replaced one day. Jax said that uh, they would have a real party when she becomes a champion. Asuka attacks her for interrupting and hits her with a hip attack on the apron and sends her packing, basically. So Asuka and Kyrie stand their ground and celebrate, finish celebrating in the ring. Then we have Charlie in the back inter- interviewing Corbin. Ask if he had any doubts about facing McIntyre. Corbin said he's the one who chose this match. He's the one who carried uh, Drew McIntyre for over a year when he came back. He knew how dangerous he was with him beating Brock Lesnar. Uh, but basically said that he's going to expose all of McIntyre's mistakes said the next time they fought, it would be in the main event of WrestleMania where he beat him for the world championship. So I guess in a year, maybe. It's a long time, Corbin. And you broke a mirror, dude, so who knows. Uh, they then showed McIntyre watching the promo, so he seemed pretty amused. Then we got a tease that tonight Kevin Owens is making his return to Central WrestleMania, and he's going to have the KO Show segment featuring Zelina, and her entire crew of Andrade, Angel Garza, and Austin Theory. So we'll have that later in the show. Then we had a segment with Bobby Lashley and R-Truth. This was probably the low point of the show. One of the low points, at least. Um, Truth is usually really funny. And he wasn't horrible here, but like, I don't know. It just wasn't that funny to me. He basically gets in the ring with Lashley. Then he, he goes outside the ring and he puts in these fake teeth. Um, I don't know what it is. He talks about Bobby Lashley's full Nelson calls it the Nelson Nelson from the Simpsons, which I'm not a Simpsons fan, so I don't know what that even means. Um, yeah, basically, basically Bobby Lashley squashed him, used a full Nelson slam, then applied a full Nelson submission, made truth tap. MVP came out, applauded him. Then they cut back to Lana after Bobby Lashley picks up the win here. And she's like, smiling for a minute and she just freaks out and just starts throwing stuff. So whatever. Um, they went from her being her and Bobby Lashley being angry at each other to them being back to her helping him train and all this and being friendly. And now she's what, what was it, an act or something who knows, but she's mad at him again this week. So maybe next week she'll be happy with him again. We'll see. He actually won his match. So he's got that going for him. Then we have Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus the Iconics in a women's tag team championship match because the Iconics beat the champions last week. So whatever. The Iconics come out. Um, Billy Kay thought Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross would just hand over the belts. Uh, Kay, um, Billy Kay and uh, Peyton Royce call themselves the future. Um, the uh, During the match, Billy Kay, so last week, Bliss ended up losing by 
getting hit in the throat by Billy Kay, and which the announcers called a cheap shot, which whatever, it's not. And she was a legal, she's legal woman in the ring, so whatever. But they tried to go for it again this week. So Billy Kay goes to jab Bliss in the neck. Um, but uh, basically Alexa ducked and clocked her with a right hand, followed up with a twist of Bliss, but Peyton Royce was able to break it up. Uh, and she picks up Bliss and just starts throwing her into the turnbuckle, just like crazy. She's not the legal woman. The referee tells her to stop. She doesn't do any, like do anything. So the ref calls for the DQ. <sighs> Fine, whatever. This was kind of another low point of the show. Uh, yeah, it, it was just nothing. Like I don't get where this is going. We'll see. So basically, Iconics lose. Um, Nikki Cross and. Alexa Bliss were just like happy, you know, like whatever, we've got the titles back. So it was a very short match. It was nothing. But then uh, if we go in the back, uh, we get uh, Kyrie Sane and Asuka again. Uh, but Kyrie Sane is playing her recorder by herself, practicing. Asuka actually walks away from her. And uh, while she's practicing, she's attacked from behind by Nia Jax. Uh, but instead of just like beating her down, she just throws her into a box and then walks away. And apparently this killed Kyrie Sane. But whatever. And then we get a shot of the Iconics arguing backstage after losing their match. Peyton said they had, or no, Billy said they had one chance to win and this was it. And Peyton blew it, even though Billy Clay, Billy Kay was clearly about to lose the match anyway. So whatever. Uh, basically blamed uh, Royce for bl- blowing it. So she slapped Royce. Uh, Peyton was just like shocked. Billy was shocked. They cried with each other. They apologized and they hugged. So I guess they're teasing a breakup with the Iconics. I don't know, but whatever. So Asuka was in the back with a trainer, checking on Kyrie. Uh, she asked what happened. She said Nia attacked her. Asuka was enraged, so she storms off, and we go to a break. We come back, and Nia's just walking in the back, and Asuka comes up to her. Uh, she yells at her in Japanese, so Nia just blows her off. She starts to walk away when Asuka grabs her by the hair, kicks her in the head, and then yells at her and leaves. So. Yeah, just like that. Instead of like them next week being backstage and Nia attacking them after being, you know, bested in, in the ring, she just does it this week and Asuka gets her revenge. So whatever. Uh, then have another short match. There's a lot of short matches on the show, by the way. Uh, there's It was a theme throughout the night, short segments. I don't know if they're just testing it, but yeah, seemed a lot of short things going on and a lot of things, like I said, but... Uh, it was Shayna Baszler versus Natalia in a submission match. Uh, basically, Baszler went for a sharpshooter, and Natalia was able to counter it to, to a sharpshooter. Shooter. Baszler was able to get to the ropes, but there's no rope breaks, so she uh, tried to get out of the ring, like crawl out of the ring. Natalia was able to uh, – she was trying to get hold of her, but she lost leverage and let go of the move. She continued the attack, applied a knee bar, but Baszler turned it into a car food uh, – Cure food of clutch. Uh, and so she got it on. Um, she was able to keep Natalia away from the ropes. And Natalia finally had no choice and uh, finally tapped out. So it was good while it lasted, but I wish it would have been longer. It was just a very short match. So um, I'm fine with the short segments because a lot of these go on longer than they need to. The short promos, but you don't need to just cut down the wrestling this much. Uh, having a couple long re- like wrestling matches are fine. Uh, obviously something like the Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross versus Iconics can be short, but in a submission match like this where these two women can work 
let them work. Let them eat up some time in the show. Like they can make it entertaining. And this was a good match. It was just short. So uh, Baszler actually limped away from the ramp. But Natalia was like upset. She's very obviously very disappointed. She can't buy a win, basically. Uh, and then all of a sudden, these jerks on the WWE ring crew, as she's like lost and clearly devastated, she's sitting in the middle of the ring, basically in tears or near you know tears. They, these ring crew guys, I guess the same people who put a chair off for Otis uh, after he broke the first one, like in the middle of the segment uh, on SmackDown, they just come out and start setting up for the KO segment. So they bring out this rug and start rolling it out while she's standing there. They like hit her feet with it because they're trying to get it out. They put like signs and chairs in the ring. And understandably, Natalia just snaps and she starts destroying all the stuff. Honestly, I was sitting there saying, like, you should kill these dudes. Like, I want Natalia to, I mean, if she's going to go heal or something, just let her kill these geeks in the ring. Like, they were the they were the losers here. So she needed to, like, kill some of them. But basically, she just destroyed the set. She threw all the uh, the chairs out of the ring, threw all the, uh, the signs that they had put up, and she walks out. She's basically distraught. And then Samoa Joe gets on and says, this behavior is ridiculous. And I'm like, dude, yeah, she lost and she threw a fit, but these geeks were out here trying to set up a ring for a segment while she's trying to suffer a loss in her, you know, career of choice. I don't know. I sympathize with Natalia here. Like I thought these ring crew guys were very, very, uh, uh, not empathetic to her pain and just doing their job. But I mean, come on guys. Then we had Angel Garza, Andrade backstage arguing with Austin theory. They, uh, basically Selena, It was weird because they showed last week where they're all arguing and then showed where um, Theory lost the match last week or whatever. They they did a flashback of last week and showing them arguing in the backstage last week. And then they came back and they were doing basically the exact same argument, just wearing different clothes. And I was so confused. I was like, wait, is this a real replay or not? Like, I don't know what's going on. But no, they're just arguing still. So I guess for a week straight, they've been arguing. They just took time to go shower and change clothes. But uh, Garza and Andrade, really Garza for the most part, is just like dogging theory for being the weak link. Vega comes out and stops him, demands they all get along tonight. She asks each of them if they understand this. They all agree, except actually Andrade just says, I am the champion. (laughs) So I guess Vega takes that as a yes. Uh, She actually makes theory say yes, ma'am to her, though. So she actually, she, you know, she points the finger at him and says, like, you better straighten up, pal. So. Uh, she's teaching all of them, says they need to be on the same page. So then we have the uh, Kevin Owens show. He comes out and thanks Natalia for giving some of the junk out of the ring. Says he hasn't been on Raw since Mania because he was banged up after his match with Raw, uh, yeah, with Seth Rollins. He says he's fine now and he's back. He introduces guests, Vega, Andrade, Garza, and Theory. So he, he like sarcastic applauds them and thanks him for joining them. He gets out on the apron. Vega knows why uh, he has him on the show. He wants a dysfunctional Jerry Springer segment. But Vega talked about how good they all were. Uh, he actually inter- tried to interrupt her, or not necessarily interrupt her, but he talked while she was talking and she shushed him. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like she, she came off so great here. She was, she was a great talker. And uh, she talked about how good they all were. She called Andrade a champion amongst insects, said Garza broke faces and broke hearts and the theory was a prodigy who was that damn good. And then Vega just basically touted herself of being great. And Hey, she is great. So I agree with her. 
So they all came from the streets. They all had to survive. Um, so they built sidewalks in those streets for people like Owens. Know that Owens stood on the apron because he would stand in the ring with him. And Owens admitted, well, I tend to know what happens when I'm in the ring with too many people. It usually doesn't end well. But he said he actually is also on the apron because he didn't want, to, want it to get too crowded. But he has another guest to which Apollo Crews comes out, makes his return after uh, obviously getting injured in the match with Andrade, which Andrade was able to uh, take him out of the Money in the Bank qualifying match. So Cruz is obviously out for revenge. He gets out and just like immediately tackles Andrade, starts going after him. But Garza, in theory, just stood there for like ever watching their champion leader get beaten the crap out of him. But uh, they finally try to get involved, and then Owens tries to break up the fight. I don't know why. Uh, Then we had a match between these two. And yet again, it was a very short match. So... Uh, but it was good while it lasted. Owens basically got the hot tag to Apollo Crews, and Apollo looked great here. I mean, it's hard to believe that this guy just not that long ago, like a couple months ago, this guy was jobbing to Sheamus in a handicap match with Shorty G on his team. So whatever. WWE just does whatever they want, I guess. But hey, he looked great in this match. Uh, I think he's, you know, at least in the ring, he's finding his stride. Maybe Paul Heyman understands that this guy is great. I wish he would understand, excuse me, how great Ricochet is. And he could tell Vince so they could, I mean, he wasn't even on the show this week. So just take that, you know, however you want to take it. But yeah, he had a great showing here. Uh, Basically came out, uh, Theory tried to interfere in the match. Um, At one point, Garza was going to Cruz essentially, and Cruz was firmly in control. Theory tried to jump on the apron and help out, but he, uh, Apollo Cruz sent Garza into the uh, into Theory to where Theory they played it off a little like it was a mistake, but he like reared back and clocked this dude with an elbow. And you know what? I don't blame him for Cruz being a jerk, or uh, sorry, Garza being a jerk to him. So he clocks him. Apollo was able to hit a you know the sit down power bomb for the win. Uh, again, very short match. After the match, um, uh, Apollo and Kevin Owens leave, and Andrade gets in, attacks Theory. Him and Garza beat up on him. Vega seems uh, happy with this. She's done with uh, Theory. Basically, they kick him to the curb. She slaps him. They throw him into chairs on the outside and just leave him laying. So Theory is kicked out of the group. Now it's down to just Garza and Andrade with Selena Vega. So We'll see if they ever decide to find a third. Maybe they'll bring Umberto in and he'll turn heel. I, I don't know. They'll, they got to do something though. So uh, Austin Theory is thrown at the curb. Then in the back, we have an interview with Drew McIntyre. So Charlie Caruso asks, um, basically, um, you know, ask him how he's doing. Uh, Drew's smiling. He's happy. He said Mondays were always a great night for a Claymore party. Says the brand to brand invitations were perfect, uh, are perfect for a dream match. So is just not having a brand split, but whatever. Said he's good, he's got his dream match tonight, which he's lying through his teeth. <laughs> Said he got his dream match against Corbin. Knows Corbin will do whatever it takes to win, but he was out of his damn mind if he thinks he can come to his backyard for a match and win. Uh, McIntyre said he had a Claymore ready for Corbin uh, and said he's going to get one tonight. So. He said, actually, he said he had a Claymore ready and is fit for a king. So uh, then we go back to the axe throwing contest between um, uh, Street Profits and Viking Raiders. I almost forgot their name again. <laughs> Montez Ford is trying to toss the act, 
he attempts tossing the axe, but he throws it high into the air, like way into the trees. Uh, we go to a break and come back and Dawkins is ready to give it a shot. Uh, but there's like a horse standing right next to it and he's just distracted by it. So he completely misses. Doesn't hit the horse, thankfully. Uh, they did tease that he hit a horse, but he actually threw the, the uh, axe back and he hit a barrel. And I'm assuming this was like a, a barrel of mead or like a barrel of beer or something because these Viking raiders and their friends were not happy. They were about to kill the uh, Dawkins and Ford uh, street prophets. I, I cannot remember their name for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> so the Vikings are basically about to kill these guys until uh, Montez Ford thinks fast and he offers his solo cup in uh, repentance for their dirty deeds. So um, yeah, they're pretty mad at it. Uh, but then we got after this. So they basically offered a peace treaty. We then get Aleister Black versus Buddy Murphy in no surprise, another short match. Uh, Theory was at ringside still after getting destroyed. So he's still just like laying there in a pile of chairs, I guess. Uh, basically Murphy and Black were in the ring having a decent start to a match. Rollins goes over and sees Theory. He picks him up. He like, you know, hugs him or he extends his hand to Theory. He gets helped up to his feet. Uh, As Buddy Murphy or just Murphy and Asha Black Russell, he instructs Theory to get into the ring. Theory gets in and attacks Alistair for the DQ. Uh, Basically, Austin Theory and Buddy Murphy double team Alistair Black. They jump him. Uh, Seth instructs them to pick him up. Allows Theory to, to hit Alistair with the ATL. And Rollins hugs Theory. So supposedly Austin Theory is now a, a uh, part of one of the Messiah's disciples, I guess. So Murphy also kind of looked a little jealous. So there might be a little dissension. I mean, Theory, you know, he might have, he definitely has enemies in Andrade and Garza, but he might have made a new one here with Murphy. He's kind of jealous looking. So we'll see what happens. So, um, oh, and by the way, Alistair Black saved uh, Umberto earlier in the night, but Carrillo didn't come out and save him. I guess he's still dead. Who knows? Uh, but then we go back to the axe throwing contest. But this this time they're actually going to explain the rules and actually get this thing underway. No more practice throws. Uh, basically, they each get 10 throws. Um, and only perfect throws that hit the bullseye are, get you a point. Uh, so the Viking Raiders start. They get 10 perfect points on all 10 throws. So they start out with a 10 to nothing lead. Uh, they're the Raiders, uh, you know, they encourage the prophets say, you guys can do this. Um, Ford, uh, they try to do it. Don't get any, they're doing horrible. So basically the Raiders beat them. But then at the very end, much like the Viking Raiders hitting the one shot last week, except, except this time was, Clearly not on purpose, or they, they kind of made it seem that way. Montez is able to hit the bullseye, and all the Viking Raiders, all of uh, uh, Dawkins and Ford, all of the uh, Street Prophets, they celebrate together. And then a cop car shows up, and it's got one of the axes that they threw earlier in their windshield. So they get out. They want to know who threw it. Um, basically, they said, that, you know, they want to see who has the best aim because that will tell them who threw it, I guess. So uh, Dawkins decide he's going to take care of this. He turns his back to the target. He throws the axe over his shoulder and manages to hit the bullseye. 
the Raiders are stunned. The cops are stunned. Everybody's stunned. But uh, again, like they're keeping these in short spurts. They're pretty entertaining throughout. Um, it, it was funny that the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits were getting along here and like just having fun. So I, it was okay, I guess. So um, it was basically some very similar to last week's segment. But uh, after this, we have and it, this. By the way, it's not over yet. Like I said, there's there's several things throughout the show. So there's I think one or two more. I think just one more segment of this. Uh, but basically, we got an interview after this with Charlie in the back talking to Apollo. Says this has been the longest three weeks of his life. Uh, he was finally feeling like things were starting to click for him, which they were. He said he just needed an opportunity, um, and uh, he lost it by losing, you know, not being able to compete in Money in the Bank and doesn't know what would have happened. But he says all he needs is a new opportunity, and next week he's going to face Andrade for the U.S. title. And then uh, Selena Vega showed up, said that uh, he should cut his losses and walk away while he has one good knee uh, or he'll risk never walking again. Apollo, you know, was pretty confident here. He said Andrade better be ready. He wondered where Andrade was and figured he's scared he slapped again. Told uh, Charlie that he'd uh, become new champion next week. So, yeah, Apollo, pretty good promo here. Probably the best one he's cut since being a double. I mean, not that he's cut a bunch of great promos, but, you know, for a guy who was known for not having a great promo, he did pretty decent here. He, he can get better, but still pretty good. So, then after we take a break, come back, and the cops are lecturing the teams about how dangerous it was to throw the axe. This is obviously Viking Raiders and the Street Profits. So the cops are lecturing them. Uh, the female cop was with them, decides to let them go, however, however, with a warning, saying the whole reason was because she thought Ivar was cute, even though she didn't think much of Eric. So they make fun of Eric for being ugly. Ivar thinks he's cute. The cops let him go, and they all celebrate together. And you know what? This, these were funny segments. They were short, sweet. I was fine with these. I was fine through with this throughout the show. I actually prefer that because it keeps the story going throughout the show. Um, and I liked it. So I thought that that was good. My only issue with it is, so Street Profits are baby faces. Viking Raiders are baby faces. And they're seemingly just getting along great in this feud, this quote-unquote feud uh, I mean, they're going to get against each other in healthy competition, but they seem to be doing okay. They're like all buddy-buddy with each other and happy. I mean, the Viking Raiders celebrated when uh, one of the Street Profits was able to hit the target. So I don't know. I, I just I don't know how this is going to lead to a, a meaningful match. <sighs> yeah, I have no idea. So it, it's fine. It's a good segment, but it, what is it really building to? So... Uh, then we had the main event of the night and also the longest match of the night, which on this show was not hard to beat. Drew McIntyre versus Baron Corbin in the brand-to-brand Invitational. Uh, before the match, uh, McIntyre and Corbin were both in the ring when MVP and Lashley came out. MVP said he was in, impressed by Corbin, but also noted that McIntyre uh, was the one holding the belt. So uh, basically said McIntyre needed to be on notice that Lashley would pry the WWE title out of his cold, dead hands if he had to. So Lashley and uh, MVP said they're going to stay on the ramp and watch the entire match. So basically, um, they had a pretty good match between them. Uh, Corbin got some offense in still. I mean, it's not great offense, but he got some in. 
Drew got a good match out of him. Basically, Corbin uh, went for a spot where he slips out of the ring and comes back in the ring, hits a clothesline. Um, so he hits that, but only got a one count. Later, Corbin hit a superplex of McIntyre, but kicked out of one again. McIntyre caught him on the ropes and hit him with an overhead belly, belly, belly to belly. Uh, followed it with a big boot, an axe handle, a spine buster. Corbin uh, came back with a sidewalk slam. Got a Corbin was able to come back with a sidewalk slam. Got another one count. McIntyre got a future shock DDT on him. Goes for the Claymore kick, but Corbin counters it into a deep six for a near fall. McIntyre then avoided the end of days and hit a headbutt, the Glasgow kiss. And then uh, Corbin threw into the ropes. He bounced off the ropes, came back, hit Claymore kick, and picked up the win. So very strong showing here for the champion uh, because Corbin, you know, he has been pretty dominant on SmackDown up to this point. So seeing um, kind of this this focus uh, here for Drew McIntyre was was good. So, uh, But after the match... McIntyre taunted Lashley from the ring, uh, daring him to become the killer he is. Uh, MVP kind of held Lashley back, and we went off air with McIntyre posing for the belt. So, yeah, Drew McIntyre is your winner. He picked up the, the winner over Corbin, and we're going to get a match between Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre at some point. So, uh, yeah. Uh, like I said, all in all, the show was paced well. Nothing stayed like overstates welcome. So, my only main issue was that, like I said, it, it was still three hours long, so it felt long at points. Like, and it might have been because another thing I had this that I think this show had going against it was the matches all but the main event were slow, or not slow. They they were um, they were quick, so they just like got out of there. You know, they just got in, got out quick. So I mean, I don't think any of those matches went over like five minutes. Like they were very short. And I think it's because maybe they're doing like blitz segments or something. They're like, all right, short segments, short uh, entering promos and short matches. And the main event will have the long. So I don't know, like, I feel like a little bit too much was crammed. It's like they went, instead of doing a bunch of long stuff and drawing out the show and making it boring, they decided to instead do everything short and in spurts and keep the pace going well, which it was. But then the matches suffered because of it. And I mean, it is a wrestling show, so you need them to be at least entertaining. So that was Raw for the week. Uh, I mean, I thought it was a good show. One of the better ones they've done in the Performance Center. But it's still too long because it's three hours. And I mean, I've seen both formats and neither of them helped with the time difference. So I don't know what it's going to take for it to be a, a you know a good show, like an A-plus show with three hours every Monday. I, I just don't know. I just don't see it, but we'll see. Uh, and, and like I said, the matches were short, but all in all, nothing horrible on the show. Nobody looked completely stupid for the most part. Uh, even the segments that didn't completely hit home, it just like either didn't work or there could have been more. There could have been a little bit something more to it, but all in all, that was a solid show. I'm going to give the show a B, maybe even a B plus. Like it was a good show. It wasn't quite an A show. Like I said, because there weren't like there wasn't a blowaway match on it or anything, but I mean, man, compared to these other Raws that've been on here, I think the show deserves a B. So uh, that's what my thoughts are. Like I said, same with SmackDown as well. If you agree with this, you know, let us know. If you disagree, let us know as well. Like we're, we're open to arguments here on the show. Uh, at least I am. Uh, you might be wrong, but I'm open to it. But uh, yeah, I wanted to come back, give you guys these reviews, keep you informed on what's happening in wrestling. Uh, like I said, it's 
unfortunate that we had to cut this in two parts, but um, luckily our emergency, you know, got itself resolved and everything's well, Every, everybody's fine. So uh, I want to give you guys a show. Appreciate you guys for listening to it again. And we're also going to have later in this week a uh, preview for Double or Nothing that's coming up. So Matt and Mike are going to bring you an AW preview of that pay-per-view, which is just turning – it looks like it's going to be an awesome show. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Hope you guys are as well. So tune into that. And also keep on looking for uh, Matt's Indie Focus shows. He's, he's done some more interviews we know. So there's definitely more that are coming. Uh, he's really enjoying it. Uh, so, yeah, just keep keep tuned in for that stuff. I think it's going to be great. Uh, also, follow us on Facebook at Russell Life Radio, on Instagram at Russell Life Radio, on Twitter at Russell Life Pod. You can follow Matt on all these platforms um, under Russell Life Matt on Instagram, Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram at Kyle.Polly. I'm on Twitter somewhere if you want to follow me, but I really don't check it ever. Uh, and if, like I said, be sure to hit us up on Facebook. If you add us on Facebook, feel free to comment on our photos or something. Share your opinions with us. We're always open to talk. Uh, if you have a question and want it featured on the show, let us know and we'll we'll answer it for you. So uh, thank you guys again. You guys have a good week. Uh, and we'll be back next week for another week in review. Um, but like I said, look out for the AEW show as well. But thanks guys again. I hope everybody has a good rest of the week. And once again, I will say rest in peace to Shad Gaspard, true superhero dad. You will be missed, man. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and I'll see you guys later. Bye.